Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, this is Susan Shereko. Welcome. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Mary Virginia Pittman, author of Four-Legged Heroes. Mary Virginia has a strong Christian background, was, has been part of the U.S. Army Medical Corps, who has gone on to be a volunteer in its suicide prevention program. So please wave your hands to welcome Mary Virginia Pittman. Hello, Mary Virginia. Welcome so much. Hello, Susan Sirocco. It's so good to be on your program. I've really been looking forward to it. Thank you for inviting me. It has been my pleasure. Mary Virginia, you were raised in a military family, and you stayed within it for your career. Can you give us a quick idea of your work? Well, my work has right now, uh, I came from medical background, of course, what had you. But then I started working as our veterans uh, in Afghanistan and in uh, Iraq, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, from my medical medical background, was able to work with them in different places and part of the world, what had you, to help with the post-traumatic stress disorder and to prevent suicide. So that's very, very important. And, and these wonderful, wonderful human beings that have done so much not only to prevent happenings in our own country, but also to liberate people who are under great, great distress in other countries. And it's a very valuable lesson that all of us need to learn in humanity as well as in the United States. And I don't think that we always show as much appreciation as we really need to do and our children need to know about it, too, because when I was on the American delegation for World War II and we were making uh, wreath ceremonies in Europe, all over Europe, in different places, and uh, I, of course, was on that ceremony for the Iraq, I beg your pardon, for uh, uh, Bastogne uh, and the Battle of the Bulge uh, in Normandy as well as uh, Luxembourg, and that was such an humbling thing to happen in that experience because of the graciousness that the people showed to us and Americans because they felt like that we certainly had prevented their country from becoming extinct, and that's true. It's true. And so our American values must be passed on to other generations. So my book, is not talking about World War II. My book is talking about taking children, our young ones today, and teaching them the value of different characteristics, noble characteristics of living, so that they can make their dreams come true and that they can have their thoughts and minds to come to fruition with things that are going to be better for their, not only their generation, but the following generation. Each generation has its own job in order to utilize those characteristics. Well, Mary Virginia, you know, 
Mary Virginia, you have you've skipped over so much of what you've done in your career from suicide prevention to working with refugees all over the world. Um, and it, at first I thought four-legged heroes was going to take it in a totally different vein, but that's not true. It has it really does emphasize um, you know the the importance of of how the value that our animals give us in these same arenas. So what is it that animals do that stands out as a good example for our children? In studying animals, you find that they do not betray their species. Only human beings do that, unfortunately. But with wild animals, each species has their own way of taking care of one another. And that means they take care of their young, they take care of their elderly, they take care of their wounded. They will never leave their wounded isolated. And with elephants, they even have burials and funerals, etc. And we need to know that those characteristics are very noble characteristics that we should have in humanity as well. And we do, and we have. But now we're slipping away from some of those wonderful idealistic ways of life. And that's what we want to promote the book for to hear teach that to children to be their own heroes. And that means don't copy what's going on out there in TikTok and things that are not good and valuable for your life that only leads you in the wrong direction. But we want to impact children to say, I want to be like that. I want to be like what the wolves do or what the elephants do or what the lions do because they are protective of each other. And yes, they have to behave themselves and there is punishment when Animals are not doing the right thing with the right reason, but nothing brutal. It's simply a matter of getting their attention. You know, like I have seen uh, an elephant whose baby was being very much a juvenile delinquent. So she just went right on in the water and just took her hook and gave him a little tap right on the bottom. And all of a sudden, it's my attention. Now, the child was not hurt. I mean, the elephant was not hurt at all. But, of course, got Mama's attention when Mama said, this is what I want you to do. So it was pretty cute and it was pretty funny. But it's things like that that we need to, I'm going to use a proverb now that, uh, that the animals use. And that is, we as parents, we must write on the hearts of our children in such a way that when the world's roughest Pan can never erase that beautiful goodness that our parents have embedded in us. And that is why my book takes separate characteristics from the animals in their way of living, in their way of embedding with each other and taking care of one another. We separate each one of those noble characteristics and we talk about it to a child so they know what that means. And with also you talk about it in regard in relationship to your whole family because it's useful in that manner to teach a whole family how to feed together several generations and to create a bondage that cannot be scratched and not be divided and not be violated. And that's well, Mary Virginia. Mary Virginia, there really is um, such power in these stories. I think the very first one um, you were were talking about the bravery of dogs during the 1925 diphtheria epidemic. 
Can you share with us that story? It's just an amazing uh, chain of events. Well, that story, we honor it every year by having the Dedderod. Rod. The Dedderod race is takes place in Alaska, of course, where the original story took place. And the point being is at that time there was a huge epidemic of diphtheria. And the children were getting this in Nome, Alaska, which is way, way out on the Bering Sea coast. And consequently, they could not get the vaccination vaccine to in time to save Nome, Alaska if they did not use sled dogs at that point in time. It was a very brutal winter in Alaska. And the only way they could do this was to go by Pony Express type of relay from different dogs uh, to go X number of miles and they relay the vaccine onto another dog sled and handler to get it to Nome, Alaska. And normally that would take 25 days. And by 25 days, Nome would be wiped out. So that meant the dogs had to run day and night and it had to be done. And do you know what? These animals in the brutal, one of the most brutal winters that Alaska has ever experienced. The people mm. that put it together knew it was going to be defeated, but the dogs weren't told that. So consequently, the dogs made the 25-day trip normally in this brutal weather. They made it in five and a half days and 200 and some odd hours. They made it and they made it, and the last one was Balto, made it mostly in the dark, through treacherous terrain, and even his handler had given up, but he knew what to do, and his dogs with him, because he was the leader, were going to follow him. He made it, and everyone was saved in Alaska. It's one of the greatest American rescues that we have to talk about, and it's very mm. sanctity it. That is that is an incredible story that that the it dogs really could is. do that. It really yeah, is. And, it, the animals and, did it. They and did they it. Were, now, yes, they did it. What do you think that communicates to children? Never give up. Be brave. Be courageous. You know, live your own life. Be your own hero. That is what I'm trying to pass on to children. Be your own hero. Don't copy something else that somebody else is doing because it's herd syndrome. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to get you in trouble and a miserable life. But if you follow your own instincts and you have these noble traits within you, your dreams will come true. Your dreams will come to fruition. And not only that, you will certainly help mankind as well. So my feeling is that humanity demands it and our children deserve it. And we must teach them these wonderful, noble characteristics to live by. Now, Mary Virginia, the second story is something perhaps a little closer to home. All of these stories have a running theme, which has to do with um, sled dogs. But in this case, the dog is more personal. It's about your own lead dog, Tiffany. Oh, yes, that is quite a story. Because Tiffany and my team, and Tiffany was half wolf and half dog. And so consequently, they have that extra instinct in them. It's just miraculous. And consequently, in my working with the plight of polar bears 
and we were out doing sightings of polar bears to check and see how they were behaving and if they had lost weight because we have lots of problems with our climate changes right now, et cetera. And we came to a certain point and Tiffany just stopped. She would not go any farther. And I said, what's the matter, old girl? And I put in my stock, put in my stake down, uh, told the dogs to be still, and I got up and I walked up to her. And she was gingerly waiting to, to for me to pat her and talk to her. And I said, what's the matter? She kept looking out in the distance. And so I said, all right. So I took my prod pole and I went out to that distance and I dug it into the snow because we had had fresh snow that morning. And consequently, in that happening, I came, I could feel the ground. It went right through the snow. So I went back to her, and she's still looking out in the distance. So I followed out much farther than I did, stuck my rod pole through the snow, and it was ice craft. That meant she knew that we were over ice, and if we followed and followed forward, we would have with my team, the entire team, and the sled, we would have gone through the snow, through the ice, and probably we would have drowned. Obviously, she had saved our lives, too. And after that, then when I went back and royally gave her a hug, and I said, all right, old girl, take us where we need to go. So she did, and all of a sudden, she took a G, that means to the right, and she took us in another area, which was very safe, and we began to see polar bears in the distance because they were watching and waiting for the climate to change and that they might get more ice so they could get out and go for their menu called the blubber of, uh, of seals. So consequently, mm. that's their menu. So at any rate, that was a very fan- fantastic experience of my own. And uh, I'm very, was very proud of that and uh, I'm proud of her and her dogs, and you, when you're working with the dogs, it's an exciting adventure in itself. People think you just take a ride on a sled. No, no, no. You work with your dogs all the time. You talk to them. You encourage them. Uh, you, sometimes you're over rough terrain. When that happens, you have to step one foot off of the uh, sled and try to push yourself because you don't want too much weight to to make the dogs weaken. And so, therefore, it's a it's a challenge, but it's a wonderful challenge because each the dogs and the handler you depend upon each other in sometimes very very understandably dangerous areas. And you're out there in the north all by yourself. You never know what's going to happen. So it's a very beautiful relationship the dogs and the handler together. And you get the op- opportunity to see such wonderful moments. You were telling me about how, how Tiffany took care of her pups with a real, yes. Yes. real so a consciousness I about that it. With you. When we got back to camp that night after an eight-hour run, and I always give my dogs some treats from Texas in regard to I have beef jerky and each dog gets two of those and no one else, no other musher does that. I always have treats for my dogs. So consequently, I finished, I took her back to each one of them, back to where they were going to spend the night to their own little houses that they had for the dogs that had you. She had her six pups waiting. 
that were weaned. And so immediately, I, after uh, loving her again, she always was loving and nuzzling to me. And she then checked each pup, went to them, checked each one individually, just like you would a mother and a child, supposedly. She did that with hers, each one. And I sat down and I just watched her for a while. Her motherhood was absolutely beautiful. And after that, she was concerned because I said, I have to go now. She thought that meant we're not going to see each other again. And I could Uh. see. And so I immediately said to her, no, no, I'm going to see you tomorrow. It's just for tonight that I'm going. She questioned me again, and I started nuzzling her, and I explained to her again, no, I will see you tomorrow. Everything is all right. And after that, she kissed me again and muzzled me and ran back to her pups. It was a wonderment to watch her motherhood ah, and the way she absolutely. It was a beautiful story. And how, she, and how she relates to you as well. And your last story absolutely. in the book, you know, it's hard to describe, which is more important to describe, how you came to be a musher, because to be honest, I've never known anyone who mushed dogs before. <laughs> And and also how your grandchildren, your granddaughters, uh, became part of that experience as well. So I'll let you choose. How did you become a musher? Well, I it was a happenstance. I was in California, and I had friends that were mushers, and they were training their dogs by using wheels instead of a sled because in in California there was no snow there. You, to go up to the snow, you had to go up in the San Jacinto Mountains. So I learned to mush with dogs using a sled with wheels instead of snow. But after a point, you learn how to handle the dogs or how you should handle dogs and have a relationship with your dogs. Well, then after that, I took the cable cars and we would go up to the San Jacinto Mountains for the snow, and now we would do the real deal. So I learned how to do that many years ago, and then when I went to do my scientific work in Alaska and uh, other places in the Arctic, why then I knew how to have a mushing team. So that's when I started doing that, and that was really wonderful because I already knew how the dogs behave and how the, these are different species of what you call sled dogs. And they are, they are created to run. They love to do it. But it's a, such a beautiful relationship between the, the dogs and the handler. And you have to know what that means. It's very, very special. And so consequently, in doing that over the years, it's been something that has been very meaningful to me spiritually as well as physically because of that relationship with those animals and their the way they behave and not only that but the way they take care of one another the way they certainly take care of their musher and uh it's 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 an experience not only a physical experience it's also a spiritual experience and so therefore if you know some of the great mushers that we know that have won many races with the adenarod every year in alaska you come to know how special that is. And I am so grateful we are continuing to honor Balto and that wonderful 1925 rescue in Nome, Alaska on for a vaccine. And so when did you get it? Yeah. When did you decide to teach your granddaughter to mush? 
Well, that's kind of cute. Thank you for asking me about that because she, my granddaughter, loved knowing all the things I was doing in Africa and working with animals, mushing, all those situations that I had been doing at that particular point in time. She wanted to do the same thing. Now she's young. You're talking about four years old. We're starting on this. And she mm-hmm. said, Mama Majima, I want you to make a game of something. Teach me how to mush, and let's make a game out of some of the things that you do in life. And I said, all right. I will teach you how to mush huskies. So what we did, we took the bed, her bed, which was built like a sleigh anyway, and we put our pillows behind us, and then we used her plush animals to pretend they were our dogs. And she would be one side of the bed, I would be the other side of the bed. We would use ribbon, rows of pink ribbon that we used that we would put with our with our plush animals that we lined them up like mushing huskies, etc. And I taught her all the terminology, what to do and how to do it. And after that, magic began to happen. You could do this day, night, winter, summer, or fall. Siblings could do it. Their uh, parents can do it with the children. And we turned it into a game. Now, in turning it into a game, then we had everything was make-believe. I had to also teach her about what happens when you're on an actual run. And therefore, we began to pretend that we saw a moose. We began to hear wolves. We began to study. We began to study maps. We began to study exactly what you do and how you do in an emergency. We learned all about how cold it is, and we would pretend that we would wear our Mustang suits to prevent us from freezing to death, et cetera, et cetera. And we just absolutely had a ball doing it. So then her mother would come when it was time to go to bed and sing out, well, you know, time for bed. And we would say, all right, we're going back to camp now. And so we would go back to camp and we played that whole deal. And once we got back to camp, her dogs, we would go back to their shelter. And we used that as her old, uh, uh, her old crib. And then we would take care of each dog, make sure they had their meal, all that sort of thing. Now, here's the cute thing about it, and I'm so glad you've asked me about it. After learning all of that, and we did that for a number of years. I think the last time we did it, she was, uh, oh, like maybe uh, um, seven-something years old or what have you, just for fun. And consequently, what we did is that she was in school, in a private school, and they went to Canada for one of their events, as it were, and she now was like nine years old. So therefore they went and they were at at snow time and therefore they asked some of the children would they like to take a ride uh, on on the sled and do a mushing experience, of course, you had professional handlers. So she told the man, she said, well, she knew how to mush huskies and he thought she was teasing because he said, well, you're from Texas. You know, you don't know anything about mushing husky, so he said it to her and friendly mom. She said, yes, I do. He said, how? She said, my grandmother taught me. So, so therefore, she, he said, okay, uh, we'll see. So he asked her questions, which she was able to answer, and he said, all right, I think you know something about this. Therefore, for the first X number of couple miles, I'm going to put you on one rung while I'm on the other rung. You hold tight. But you are going to mush huskies, and you're going to tell the dogs what to do. Well, she did. 
Can you imagine that? Wow. And after all of this experience of mine, I passing it on to her for a, a wonderful grandmother and child experience and teaching her about how it is to live out in the cold under serious circumstances, right, Eddie? And she actually has the opportunity to go I think and that's wonderful. do it herself. Isn't that a nice little story? It is. That is amazing. It, it is, is amazing. an amazing story. Yes. Yes. You know, it's you have some real philosophy about how we should be training our young. Obviously, you've been observing animals do it better even maybe than we do. Do you have a message yes. for parents? Yes, yes. Uh, I uh, I believe in that proverb that I just shared with you in regard to rearing children, and that is we have still have parents that are very devoted and lo- teach their children as we all should teach our children by using a method called rational learning. Because we only learn in life from childhood, from a baby. There's only two ways to learn. You're going to learn for rational learning, which has to do with the physical, the mental, the emotional, and spiritual. And talking to children in a way to let them know they feel safe, they are honored, you validate their being, and they want to all of a sudden do the same thing. They themselves want to do something that's befitting. But the other way of learning is what you call pain learning. And that is when parents are becoming abusive to children, talking rude, talking down to them, mocking them, taking their angst in life out on the children, what have you. And, of course, that is becoming something really serious in our society because children then, they have nowhere to go. They, have not, they don't have the ability to be able to protect themselves. So therefore, they begin to think that they're not worth anything in life. One thing leads to another. And the next thing you know, we are actually having suicide in the United States of America. This is appalling. This has got to stop. We cannot have this in our society. And as I say, our children are everything. They, the parent-child relationship is the basis of any civil society. It is something that's a fabric that's woven, and that bond must be good, and it must be nurturing so that our children know how to handle them, not only themselves, but also how to handle their children next. And what does that do? You create children then that become human beings, that are brave, that are courageous, that are wise and know how to pass things on and know how to care for humanity, one man to another. That's what it's all about. It's about humanity. And to have humanity, we've got to care for one another. That begins with parent-child relationship. Well, I think you also, and God's grace, yes, but you also mentioned that somehow we're missing out on an opportunity to take advantage of what grandparents have to offer as well. Yes, exactly. Grandparents are precious, and grandparents are essential. And there should be no competition. We're two groups here working together that there is no competition. Uh, And consequently, why those grandparents are so important? Because they are the ones that forge our legacy. 
And in doing that with children, grandchildren, what have you, they tell stories of how it was when it was their time to be a child. Children learn safety because they hear about things that happen in history in such a way and how grandparents worked it through and how things worked out. That transcends to children of, okay, there's problems in the world right now, but I'm safe. I have people who love me or taking care of me. They're telling me what's going on. We're going to eventually, we're going to come through this together. It gives them a feeling of being safe. And also they're learning about problems that can be solved and will be solved. They also learn something else. They learned about the fun and the things that their grandparents did when they were young children do. Sometimes children even get a peekaboo into what their life is going to be like because of some something that has been passed on through the generations or one generation to another in regards to something that a grandparent did in life. And a child clicks on and says, I want to do that too. So consequently, our grandparents play a major major part in our children growing up to be fine human beings. So we must pay attention to that very closely. As well, yes. Where is your spirituality? Yes, yes, that too. We have a lot less of that in our lives today than we did. And so that is an important part as well. Uh, Where is Four-Legged Heroes available? Well, let's see. I've been told that it's available in the United Kingdom. France, China, can you imagine? Certainly Mm -hmm. in the United States, at any and every bookstore and on Amazon, as well as the uh, brick and mortar. um, I beg your pardon. (laughs) What do they call it? Mortar? Brick and mortar stores these Mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. And uh, that would be Barnes & Noble, et cetera, yes. And uh, it can be ordered and it can be purchased. almost any bookstore, and if they don't have it there, you can order it from them. Exactly. Right. So what what formats are available? Beg your pardon? What formats is it available in? Oh, it's available in all formats, in uh, the hard copy, it's the soft copy, and also e-book. Have you thought about about doing an audio book? You know, I have thought about that. But I need someone to help me to accomplish that. I would love to do it because as you and I are talking, as you already know and see, think think what children would think about it when someone's talking about it and telling the story. They immediately think, oh, that's fun. I want to try to do that mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And that's right. They really do. What to do. And parents would love it because it's much better than uh, TikTok. <laughs> In yes. fact, because, <laughs> yes, ch- parents can do it with them, too, because like like with Leah, my granddaughter, mm-hmm. her idea was, oh, we can all do this. And uh, and I never thought of it that way, but she did. And the fact that then we also made up other games with other stories and adventures I had taken, but the main one was this one. This was the mm-hmm. one that, mm-hmm. that she enjoyed so much, and it teaches children how to create an adventure of their own. It also teaches children how to let their minds make something happen that they want to happen. And from that idea of be your own hero, 
Well, you have children nowadays that have a lot of uh, savvy, much more than former generations. That doesn't mean they have wisdom to go with it and knowledge. Sometimes it's not Mm -hmm. the right wisdom and the right knowledge, etc. But in having that, I want them to learn how to create your own adventure. Make up your own mind about things. I've had one child who was eight years old wanted to write a book. So I told her parents what to do and how to do it. And so she had to write the book. Her parents would write it down, what she wanted to to talk about. And then they helped her, and she put down the color she wanted in the book, the uh, way she wanted this ballerina that she had was a unicorn, etc. And her story was delightful. Her story was about teaching other children her age, eight years old, that don't give up on something because you can't do it well right now. Keep on practicing, and it will happen for you. Now, isn't that good? Uh, an eight-year-old. It's wonderful. It's and wonderful, it's, and it's word for all of us. Every time yes. we start to give up on something, say, I don't know how to do that. Absolutely. She was being a teacher, mm-hmm. and that book, I must speak about it, her book is called The Elise, The Unicorn Ballerina, and it's out there for $5.95, what have you, on More Amazon power to and her. every place. Yes, and, and, and eight years old. So yep. what I had been talking to parents about, don't think that your children can make up something that they want to do or how to do. Help them learn how to do it because do not miss the opportunities. They can succeed now at a young age, but you have to help them on the adult side. But don't do the work for them. You let them tell mm-hmm. you what they want to do, and they do the work. All you do is assist them. Can you imagine that? And I have. It would be group. wonderful. Yes. You know what you. A- you are hitting a nail on the head in terms of this is a way to encourage people to learn how, you know, by experience. Just go through the process. You know, we our whole I was I was just doing an intro to something in which we talked about the fact that there are every step of the road is a new opportunity for us to learn. We don't know how to do all these things, but we find out and we do it a little bit at a time until we figure it out. And so it's to have somebody there helping them is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yes. The point is, don't give up. Keep working Mm -hmm. at it. You can make it and do it, but you've got to follow the right pathway. And we as parents and grandparents, that is our duty to give them the right pathway to go. And children go that way. Yes. Amen, Mary Virginia. Amen. Well, thank you very, thank you very much for being on the program today. You know, and let's thank our listeners as well. As a reminder, we've been speaking with Mary Virginia Pittman about her book, Four Legged Heroes, which is available at Amazon and lots of other brick and mortar stores. Thank you again for sharing your book with us, Mary Virginia. This has been so much fun today, Susan. Well, I'm glad. Thank you. God's grace. Yes. Children relate so well to animals, and there's so many valuable lessons to be learned from them. So I'm so glad you've written about the qualities of this group. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, and God bless, my dear. Yes. Well, that's it for us today, folks. Bye for now, and have a great day. 
thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.